It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Nassiman Hockey Podcast. I apologize if my voice sounds like I should be recording a jazz podcast instead of a hockey podcast, but uh, we're, we're going to power through today. With James Nichols, as always, how you doing, James? I am swell. Actually, you know, I shouldn't say that I'm perfectly fine. My, you know, voice feels a little nasally as well, too. I think I have a drip going on. You know, like when you get that little annoyingness when you try to swallow, it's like not a sore throat, but it hurts a little bit. I've got that yeah. little bit of bullshit going on. It's annoying and I have to deal with it, but I'm good otherwise. Yeah, that's kind of what I have. It's been like three or four days, and now I'm losing sleep a little bit, just because I feel like I'm I'm, I'm swallowing and it it it's dry, and I, I don't understand what's happening. Um, I think I'm just gonna take a little bit of Nyquil tonight and uh, just sleep through it because this is this cannot continue. We can't we can't do this. Um, cool kids call it slizzerp. What cool kids? I, that doesn't I'm sound not, right. Yeah. yeah, I'm not one of them. Okay, you just overheard it yeah, in the hall just, in the hallway of school. Yeah, like I overheard the conversation. I was like, "Those kids are cool." And it's not me. Was it Slizzerp or Scissorp? That could also be it. I do recall this from songs back in I want to say back in the day, uh, but I guess it was 15 years ago, so it wasn't yesterday. Um, that hurt my heart a little bit. Yeah, every time I have to do that, and I don't like saying that to be like i'm old but 15 years ago and thinking like oh i was kind of an adult <laughs> like i was i was living my life i very much remember 15 years ago specifically it's uh yeah it's a it's a trip every single time but anyway for why for why the listeners are here the new york islanders oh that's right i right um I have a question for for you before we dive into the last week and the the last little bit of a the good stretch at the honors have had recently. I, I put the question up on Twitter the other day. We had a few responses, um, but I wanted your take as well. Knowing what you know now about where the Islanders are, if you can go back in time to the beginning of the season, was that October thirteenth? Actually, however many the six seven months ago. Uh, from today exactly, March 13th, you can go back to that time or tell yourself or somebody else about where the team is after the lackluster offseason, right? You're going into the season, you're a little disappointed, nothing happened. You didn't land Goudreau, you didn't land Kadri, you're feeling like maybe the season's going to be a disaster. What would you tell yourself then without giving away too much information? 
Um, I I would have like. So you're asking, did I? I don't think I get the question. You can go back in time and tell yourself or a fan or us on the podcast in October um, what you know now, like oh. where the team is and like they're they're about to make the playoffs or, you know, possibly make the playoffs. They have Bo Horvat now. But at that point, everyone I felt was kind of not negative, but down on the team. They the team didn't land the big fish, but we know that now. What would you tell yourself seven, eight months ago about where the team is today? I would go back in time and say, listen, past me and John, who are considerably younger looking. Wow, look at that. No, um, I would say they got their guy, uh, maybe a little too late, but they got their guy in Bo Horvat. And they're dealing with some injuries right now. They're better positioned than they were. Uh, at this time last season, but they're fighting for their lives every single night from this point on. So I, I, we, we expected more out of Lou in the summer. He didn't exactly do it. And you're seeing a little bit of that um, uh, bite him in the ass right now. Uh, But they're, they're fighting and they're playing meaningful games and they're keeping it interesting and entertaining. And, you know, the boring hockey is kind of back. Um, you know, so that's fun. And, uh, well, go, go back more on that. It's biting them in the ass a little bit from, from the off season, because I, I have a specific yeah. reason why I, and I, something that I think I said in the beginning of the season, or at least in the midst of the season, um, uh, but talk about why you think it's biting him in the ass now. Yeah. Just, you know, look, Horvat wasn't going to be available last summer. He became available as the year developed, but he's brought some stability to the lineup in, in a leadership role. And, you know, he does a little bit of everything else too, really well. Um, you know, he, he's not finding the score sheet a ton right now, um, but he brings so much else to the table. And look, he's playing with Anders Lee and someone else every other night. Like, it's not it's not a knock on Anders Lee. It's just that there's no consistency in his line mates right now since Barzell went down. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, Horvat has brought, you know, this new juice and stability to the lineup and, and excitement. Um, and everybody else is kind of feeding off of it still. It, it died off for a little while and it's back. Um, maybe it's just the me against the world thing again. But yeah, but no, um, talk about why you think it's by like uh, Lamorello's summer. Right, no, I'm, I'm saying so. Oh. The, the the fact of the matter is that if they would have gotten their guy to bring some stability to the lineup earlier, they might be better positioned than they were, well, than they are now. So I I asked that question because I I saw I forget if if it was somebody in the Islanders community or or something like that, but they were they were comparing Horvat stats, and I meant to kind of bring it all up. Horvat's stats and age in comparison to Goudreau and Kadri's stats and age. And also what their AAV is kind of moving forward. And I thought it was interesting because Horvat isn't only younger, but I think he's having a better season than both of them. And I can't remember what the cap hits are it to say one way or another. Um, I thought that was interesting, and that's that's what I think, and I, and I think something that I said a few months ago, that 
look, I don't think Lamarella was ever going to be so transparent. I don't mean to re this is not a conversation to rewrite history, right? I, I think we were all right at the time being disappointed that nothing had happened and also worried because nothing had happened. As you said, there were, you know, no stability. Barzell seemingly um, continued to just be on his own. And that kind of carried throughout the season until Bo Horvat is uh, traded for and and signed to, you know, to that long-term deal. So this isn't to rewrite anything. Um, but I did say maybe he's waiting for something bigger and better. And I don't think Lamarello would have said that over the summer. I think he said if there was a trade to be made or a signing to be made, he would have done it. Then we hear... Who's con who's getting contact and who's not, and there's just not consistency in that. And so I think it's interesting that this is kind of working out the way that it is. Somebody like Horvat that I think is providing much more to the Islanders than either of those other players would be. Maybe Goudreau, um, certainly not in the leadership department, and that's something that seemed to be a little bit of, vac of a vacuum on this team after Andy Green is no longer there. Um, you could char to a degree, but it seemed like there was something kind of lacking that stability somewhere in, on that leadership department that just needed maybe just a fresh perspective. Um, and that's not necessarily a, a knock on Lee or Nelson or whomever, although I think they kind of did a poor job this season. There was some a disconnect between on ice leadership, the coaching, the general manager. There was something there. But anyway, I asked that question specifically because of that comparison. And again, I wish I had those more specific on those numbers, but I, I thought it was an interesting yeah. way to No, but that's, that's definitely interesting. Um, I, and you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you held out a little longer and you got the better player, which is great in the long run. Um, and, and probably the better, you know, the better situation overall, but in the right now, it's hard to also deny the fact that, you know, let's just say, for instance, Kadri or Gaudreau were on the team. They would probably be better positioned than they are at this moment. I think Goudreau next to Barzell would have been something. I think it's right. hard to argue against that necessarily. But just for some perspective, uh, this season, Horvat has 63 points. Goudreau has 57 Kadri 49 and he's Horvat's out goal scoring them by by quite a bit he's in the 36 or something like that Kadri has um I'm sorry that's Johnny Gaudreau geez he has 15 on the blue jacket so you know for whatever that's worth um and Kadri has 29 so it's and Horvat's younger so I think you're you're right in that it's Obviously, Horvat is, uh, he came in when he came in and is doing whatever he can, but it would have been nice to have somebody on the team earlier. But for the right. long term influence on the team and maybe where they can go when everyone's healthy and maybe what can happen in this offseason, uh, whether that's trade or, or kind of uh, a signing, and now you don't necessarily need that 1A winger, you can get somebody that just can put the puck in the net. Maybe it's a little more one dimensional. Yeah. Um, and you've figured out Barzell is on the wing now. You're not really, we're not asking that question who can come in. We've already 
kind of answered that question and you were kind of right th- that entire time. It was, it wasn't necessarily alongside Nelson, but it was the center that came in and it opened up some possibilities. I'm sure, but the yeah. team was open to doing that. Coaching was willing to do that. Um, and, and kind of here they are. So I was maybe a little long winded uh, to start the show, but I thought it was interesting to, to consider that for a second and then compare Horvat coming in, albeit late to your point, in comparison to some of those other players, um, this isn't the only year that we'll be comparing those types of things. But I figure it's it's worth to at least examine right now when Calgary is really, really struggling and Columbus is also struggling, uh, both with Kadri and Goudreau, respectively. Um, the Islanders kick off their West Coast trip tonight in Los Angeles against the Kings. Um probably their hardest opponent, their toughest opponent um, in California. Um, they had a great stretch going into this, going 3-1 and one against teams that they, they frankly really needed to beat. Um, what did you see from this team over the last four games as they not only made up some ground but created some separation? Yeah, it was very reminiscent, you know, the last few games of the beginning of the Barry Trotz era, you know, where where it was the us against the world, and we lost, you know, John John Tavares, and we're gonna be bad, uh, you know, everybody's writing us off, kind of thing. Um, and they just kept battling back, you know. They they played real well against, uh, you know, Buffalo. They played real well against Pittsburgh and, and Washington as they all came through. Uh, I'm sorry, not Washington, Detroit as they all came through. Washington was a bit of a blunder. Um, but you know, they were due for one, you know, I, I had counted the other day and, you know, don't, um, don't quote me on the exact numbers of this. I had it the other day, but I, I didn't write it down. So I, I forget, um, exactly what it looks like, but if I'm not mistaken, look, the Islanders have collected points in like 11 of their last 14 games, which is huge. And Barzell's been absent for the majority of them. Uh, if not all of them, I, I don't remember how many games he's out at this point. Um, and JG Pajot hasn't been there. So you're you're talking about a team that has just continual continuously overcome the odds. Um, the only games where they didn't collect a point, uh, dating back to February sixth, was against the Boston Bruins and the Los Angeles Kings in regulation. Before that loss, um, to the Washington Capitals on Saturday. So, I mean, look, you're, you're talking three three games they didn't collect points. Uh, in the last four, was it four? Uh, yeah, four, yeah, five weeks games. or so. Yeah, yeah, games. it's it. It's been a really good stretch, and the fact that they can do this without Barzell, I think, is really good. But my my main uh, analysis on it is that they they've kind of simplified their game. They're they're yes. playing. You know, I, Barzell brings a lot of dynamic features, but one of the things I've been on him, especially this season, just because it's been particularly frustrating to watch the team kind of struggle before Horvat got here was that he was, it was too much East West when he was going North and South uh, they, they were seeing success and the team now is doing that. Um, and I don't think it's a huge skill difference so much as they've just simplified some things. I think, I don't think the power play is doing particularly amazing, but at least they're getting on the score sheet every now and again. It's not just a, you're not going to go over every single game the way that it was before and the way that it's some of that pressure is being spread out 
around the offense. Sometimes it's going through Nelson, which seems to be a big portion of it. But Horvat was being set up the last few games. Um, you know, I don't think against Washington, I didn't see him get too many t- chances on the power play. But every, it's Dobson, Nelson, and Horvat around the horn instead of everything going through Barzell and that kind of being telegraphed a little bit. And teams know he's going to hold on to the puck. It's not like Ovechkin where he kind of just stands in one spot and just rips rips the shot as soon as he gets the puck. Barzell holds on to it. He's not known. You know, he dusts it off, as, as Butch Goring says, um, before getting rid of it, whether that's a pass or a shot. So with without him in the lineup, there, I think they've simplified their game. And that comeback went over Pittsburgh. I don't know if you had any comments on that in, in particular. I thought was indicative of what they can actually do, you know, albeit it's against uh, Tristan Jari, if I'm not mistaken, who's had a terrible record against the New York Islanders over the last few years. Um, yeah. Any uh, comments you, on that game in particular? I mean, look, you still have to shut down Crosby, Malkin, Latang, uh, you know, Jake Gensel. Like, they have a, a number of players on that team who can still do some damage, not to mention they just got Mikel Granlund, who he's not a, an offensive powerhouse, but he makes that team better, so – um, at least in the short term. So, you know, it's still impressive. And yeah, maybe Tristan Jari doesn't have the best track record against the the Islanders, but um, you know, the the positives outweigh the negatives in in that instance in in terms of uh, you know, how they they handled Pittsburgh. Um, just you know, and and his character win. It's classic Islanders um overcoming the odds and and you know positioning themselves um. Well, once again, now they since then have fallen a little bit just because of that crucial loss to Washington. You know, if, if they were going to lose, you probably prefer them to lose uh, to somebody else coming up like Los Angeles or, or Anaheim because it's that's a four point game instead of a two point game. But, um, you know, they'll have to take care of business in, on on the West Coast now uh, because they're, you know, they got. Teams chomping at, at their heels. Um, and, you know, now they're numerically tied with Pittsburgh in, in, in the standings. Um, not not as far as points percentage. They There's a lot of teams that actually have um, better points percentage than they do right now. <clears throat> so they're going to have to continue to overcome those odds. One thing I did want to mention to you, though, was I saw this debate the other night. As a quick aside, and before I forget, um, I saw this debate going around Islander Twitter that at this point today, Rock Nelson is a better player than John Tavares. And I thought that was interesting because um, mm. you know, we we have always talked about, oh, I wonder, you know, what this team would be or look like with John Tavares still in the mix. But now people are saying or debating and, and try to try to have that, obviously, as, as unbiased as you can be to Brock Nelson. Um, what, what do you think of that? That that thought. My my reaction off the bat is that you can't really compare them. They're very different players. Um, is the question more of today, who do you want in your team out of the two? I don't know. Yes. I, 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 
because I man, I don't know what Tavares' stats are this season. I I think that uh, that thirty goals, sixty five points. Yeah, I mean, Brock Nelson's twenty eight goals, sixty three points. I think that's tough. I, I think that's um, it's interesting. I even though Nelson definitely has stepped up the last two seasons, you've seen kind of something different from him. Even though he's you know perennially perennially scoring twenty five goals and and then you know thirty and forty and now he's um, he'll likely finished towards that forty mark as well, at least in in the thirties. There's something about Tavares that even now, granted, it's like injuries and things like that. And it, and it's hard to tell. I think Nelson is driving the Islanders offense where Tavares doesn't necessarily have that pressure. So I wonder if you switch those roles, do you have that same conversation? If Nelson is playing on a team with like the Leafs that have such high powered offense and Tavares was the one leading this one. Tavares, I think, was having amazing seasons on the Islanders when he was really the only one for a while before Nelson really turned it on. And not to say that he had bad seasons, but he wasn't didn't touch Tavares uh, when they were playing together. They they were not on the same playing field. It's close now. What do you, what do you think? It's it's definitely damn close as far as this season goes. Just because you know he's got. Uh, Brock Nelson has two less goals than um, and and points than John Tavares um, in four more games. However, I mean, you know, the talent that Tavares is surrounded by. I mean, he plays on the same line as Mitch Marner. You know, could you imagine if Brock Nelson had a Mitch Marner on his wing? So that, you know, if we're talking today, this season right now, yeah, I might give the edge to Brock Nelson. Overall, though, as a player, I mean, you know, Tavares has 421 goals, 960 points, and Nelson has 233, 450. So it's a big difference overall. But this season, I think it is Brock Nelson. I mean, having not watched nearly as much Tavares over the last four or five years, as I have Nelson, obviously. I I kind of want to give the the edge to Nelson. He's he's really developed into a heck of a skater. I don't know what he's changed, if anything, over the last few years to to really kind of turn it on. And I'll, I'll give Lee the same kind of credit. I don't know if they have the same skating coach or whatever is going on. Every once in a while I'm seeing Lee skate and I I did not think he could be quite that fast. Um but yeah, on Nelson, I think I would I would place the bet on him. I'm not sure if it would win or not, but I would I would bet on it on maybe him being slightly better. I feel like they're just different players. They just bring different things to the table. I my gut wants to say that I want Tavares around because of his ability to lead. Um, I guess Nelson's done some clutch stuff this season and I, I it's, it's tough. The history part 
and knowing what Tavares has done, even with the Islanders uh, a, a long time ago. But yeah, that's really hard. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I want it to be Nelson purely for poetic justice. Um, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent. It's a good debate. Sure. I mean, they're both second line centers. They both have good wing. I don't think you could really can compare Lee and Marner. Obviously, those are not not only are they not the same player, but um, Marner is very good at what he does. Um, Lee is good at what he does. Um, Marner is kind of on a different level there. Again, the players that he plays around, but even just on his own, he's he's quite the player. That's a, it's an interesting debate. I'm not. Uh, hundred percent sure to be honest i i think the history clouds me and that's why i want to say tavares but given this season it could be lee i'm like 50.1 to 49.9 on it uh, i'm not i'm not entirely sure that's a it's a good question because it's not like it, it it's not even comparing barzell and tavares right like that's right. not even the yeah that's that's an interesting that's an interesting debate. Drop us if you're if you're on Twitter or you're on YouTube. Let us know what you think. I think that's an interesting debate. Definitely drop that in a comment or in a reply or just tweet at us and uh, tell us both of our takes are wrong. I think we. I don't really know that I answered the question. I kind of flip-flopped <laughs> a little bit, but um, yell at me about that. I I, I suppose. Nassim and hockey is brought to you by DraftKings. Are you ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score no-sweat bets during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get back a bonus bet up to $10. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. A couple questions for you as well. Um, Part of the success right now with the Islanders even without Barzell and and Pajot, who um, I think is expected to be back against the Kings. Um, um, is, was there anything saying that, or is it just expected? Uh, Pajot? Yes. Per Lambert is hopeful that he'll play tomorrow. Hopeful, that was the word. I just wanted to make sure we were using the, the exact correct language, because uh, if he doesn't yeah. play, it's, if he doesn't play, it's obviously our fault. We were right. definitely the one, like, so I just how that works. That. Yeah, that's how that we have. Uh, Lamorell is just off camera here, giving me all the clues. Um, given the Islanders' success, even without Peugeot and uh, beating the teams around them, save for Washington, but having a good little run here, um, since that, uh, really that loss to, to Boston, are the Islanders finally getting the Lambert system and the little tweaks? Are things finally starting to click a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's right. You know, it, it was, it was a, a, a 
growing pains kind of thing and it was elongated sure i think that they both the team and the coach had to adjust on at different times of the season you know at first it was lambert trying to be completely offense you know oh we know the defense let's just completely focus on offense and we'll just apply the defense when needed um sometimes it worked sometimes it was awful then they went to this transition where they tried to you know, find a middle ground. And then they kind of reverted back to, you know, the, their Barry Trotzisms, And that seems to be what's working best and integrating still these small um, offensive quirks or, or, or infusions that they have. And it's been kind of working. Um, so I, it's so it really is. It's so hard to put your finger on what they what their system has been this year because it's changed in in so many ways. Well, it's been chaotic. It, they're really right. I dare I say there wasn't one, or at least they weren't understanding or executing it right. I don't want. Yeah, I think that's. I don't want to. I don't want to pile on Lambert, and that's why I say is it clicking right? It's we're we're seeing it is a lot. Now. We're seeing a lot more structure get back. And, and that's maybe Lambert's intent the entire time. I don't think, and even I think he even said recently that there weren't any major changes recently. Like there's nothing that happened all of a sudden that they started to practice, not that they had all that much time for a while, to all of a sudden just change the way that the team was playing. That's that's simply just not the not the case. But something did click, and it may because it started before Horvat got here and while Barzell. Um, cause Barzell, that's a, a much more recent, I guess it's, it's adding up now, but Barzell and Horvat overlapped for maybe a handful of games before Barzell went down with an injury. So something clicked even before that. It may have just been, um, I mean, it, it happened really even before the, the loss to, to Boston, right? That they, they started to pick it up a little bit, but it was against, I mean, it's funny. Again, we're like rewriting a little bit. So you said February sixth, and that's when they that's because at that time they so they beat Seattle. I think we recorded the next night, and we're like they have to win these next three games, and they lost them all, and we yeah. nearly blew a fucking gasket. Yeah, we were losing our we're like th- this is right before a Horvat thing, and we were like, "There's no way, like this team is going nowhere." Like. Do they sell? Who are they selling? Um, you can go back a few weeks and listen to the show. I'm, I'm sure we were, you know, kind of going crazy a little bit. So I almost want to say it was that loss to to Boston. They, you know, they they beat Pittsburgh and that was good and they collect points. But that at that point, that's before Horvat's traded, and then they go on a little bit of a, okay, we're collecting points. They beat Pittsburgh again, um, and maybe that Pittsburgh game was the start of something and that that loss really kind of, okay, we got to buckle down. They beat Pittsburgh again. They beat Winnipeg twice. Um, they're starting to lose to good teams, but also beat some good teams. Um, then you kind of get into like, okay, they're rolling a little bit now getting into getting into March. And that's starting to be that, that good sign. When was the trade deadline? That was March 3rd. I and so. I had I had said to you, I said by February fifteenth, I believe I said, the Islanders will know if they were buyers or sellers. They lost 
those games like you mentioned and to to that point at that at that moment i was convinced that why would you add yet here we are in bizarro world (laughs) yeah well then they go on and they out of that ditch they were in somehow yeah like i said they they beat some good teams they lost to some good teams but it was they had a tough stretch there between the pittsburgh game and the minnesota game to end february they again they beat winnipeg twice which is no and and shut them out one of those times um the defense started turning on a little bit there they were they they allowed you know no goals against winnipeg one or two including the shootout but one against uh winnipeg uh minnesota one against detroit two against buffalo they were starting to really kind of turn on a little bit getting into march that structure is back and that's kind of what led to I believe we talked about this last week because we had a, a late podcast last week, if I'm not mistaken. You know, PK Subban and uh, saying that the Islanders were boring, and to your point, getting back to that Barry Trotz style where they're kind of maybe just embracing a little bit more of who they are. Um, but it seemed like, yeah, as I said, something was starting to click, or maybe they just reevaluated. And let's let's stop taking so many risks, or we have to st- start taking more calculated risks. Um, and that just inherently has the team laying back a little bit, and they fall into that structure a little bit more. And now you're seeing them win games. Um, they had to claw back against Pittsburgh, and you want to know they can do it, but you don't want to have to live through it because then they against Washington, you know, it's three one and it's four one. You're like, God, maybe they maybe they can pull it off and. Um, that game, that game was kind of out of hand. Even though they, I believe Lee scored the opening goal of the game um, on on Saturday night. Um, and and on the defense a little bit, we've we've had some differing opinions throughout the season about Romanov's play. H- have you noticed him lately being a little more settled in? I think I was definitely yeah. critical of him. You were high on him last week or, you know, a few days ago. Um, After the last bunch of games, where are you on Ramon? I mean, we shouldn't do this every single week, but I think it's this point. Yeah, he looks looks good. He definitely, I think settled in is a good way to put it, too. And, and, you know, again, like we said last week, it's because he has a good defensive partner in Ryan Pollock, and and maybe he's uh, able to... um, I don't want to say mask some of his uh, his, his faults, but I, I think that the, the pair just works well. So Romanov definitely has settled in well. I think he's not just settled in, though. He stepped up his game. Um, you know, I, I maybe he's maybe he's moving the puck with a little more confidence and making his uh, his plays with a little more confidence in his own end as well, um, which certainly helps. And it always helps when the team is winning, too, because um, they are as of late. So yeah, Romanov looks real good. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where you just hope that he can continue that that upward trend uh, in his development. What what are you seeing from him? I think he's finding better opportunities to be physical and not take himself out of the play, and being on a pair with. I mean, I guess he he was with Dobson as well, um, but maybe he's just dialed in and and taken the pressure off of himself to feel like he needs to contribute offensively. And he's just kind of laying back, uh, letting Pulak kind of jump in and do that a little bit of more in the offensive zone. Um, 
yeah, I I think he maybe maybe he had nerves, maybe it was something I'm I'm not sure, but he just seems like he's he's much more settled over the last few weeks than maybe previously in the season. And that may just be indicative of the entire team kind of changing. And Romana was just going off of some of that chaotic energy that the rest of the team had at the time. And now that everyone's kind of calmed down a little bit, he's able to see that structure a little more clearly. You got to remember, he was one of the only new players on the team before Horvat. Granted, some AHL players were coming up and down and, you know, there's a Robin Sallow and so on, and even Sebastian Ajo, who I, oh, I do want to speak about a little later. Um, the AHL team plays a lot like the NHL team. Some of those players kind of plug and play. They're at least somewhat familiar with the system. It wasn't brand new. Um, Romanov had to come in and and learn that. And now that the team is kind of figuring its stuff out, it's probably not a coincidence that he looks better out there in general as well. Um, and that's why, you know, I, all of this kind of stuff is tied together and asking if yeah. they get the, the Lambert system. And then ultimately it, it's helping players that like Romanov, who had previously kind of struggled, you're seeing, um, fashion, get more of a, a regular look out there. And it, you know, probably not a coincidence that I don't want to say that it's coincidence that he's contributing, but he's definitely more, even more noticeable out there. He's, he's not just playing a good checking role, but he's actually being put in a position where he, he's going to, he's putting up some points, you know, and he had a few games there. Um, he had three points in four games and, you know, a couple, couple good goals and just, um, you know, he's, he's got a little finesse. I think when he, you know, he's, he's pulling it out every once in a while. And uh, the goal against Pittsburgh was one of those, oppor- you know, little opportunities that like, it looked like he kind of fumbled it, but it, it at, on a second or third look at he, uh, it looked like he knows what he was doing. He was trying to get it over Sezikis and, and just go to the net hard. And um, I think things are clicking at the right time for the Islanders. Um, and, and speaking of players kind of getting the hang of it and, and being in the Islanders system, and, and I think it's going to be a topic for a little bit until we kind of figure out who this player is. But Pierre Engvall, what are your what are your thoughts now? Again, he's, he's played a few more games since we last spoke. Um, I don't want to talk about if if he's going to fit in long term if the Islanders resign him. I I think he's he has obviously has all the potential in the world to be um, a really really good third liner or an okay kind of second line winger um, down the road. But I I don't, I don't really think that that's worth the conversation at this point. What do you think about where Engvall is right now, especially given the the injuries and and how kind of cobbled together that those third and fourth lines are? He's okay. You know, he's still trying to find his role on this team and, you know, to to his defense, that's hard to do just, you know, with so few games under his belt with the Islanders already. Um, granted, like, and we could talk about this too, Kyle Clutterbuck came back and that honestly shocked me. But, um, you know, that kind of threw a wrench in the the whole machine because it was like, okay, where does Pierre Engvall fit now? Because, you know, Clutterbuck's back, so... That's interesting. What's his role in the lineup? And and I think that he doesn't really know that. 
you know, we're also talking about how the Islanders are just getting their system, you know, uh, under their own feet. And Engvall just got there, you know, so he's still trying to do that, too. Yeah, um, and that's that's been- kind of why I asked the question like I did, you know, it's going to take him a while, just as it yeah. did with Peugeot and 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 some players yeah, but, but I'll say this, like he obviously he, he has his faults, but one of the things that he does really well that the Islanders lack is move the puck in transition from their their zone to the offensive zone. I really like that from him. So I have confidence that he'll figure it out and I have confidence that he'll be a regular in the lineup at some point when this team is fully healthy. But he just has to put it all together. And that's, again, not easy to do in his situation where He's on the first line one game, on the third line the next. I think he's on the fourth line tomorrow. Um, so he, he doesn't really know what his role is here yet. And um, it isn't his fault. And, it, you know, I'm sure if you asked him in the locker room, he'll say it's not an excuse. He needs to be better. Um, but he's also not horrible. Like, if you're asking me who comes out of the lineup when they're fully healthy between, you know, Engball, Josh Bailey, Simone Holmstrom, I'm not picking Engball. I'm probably picking Holmstrom. I, I think I'd be more on Bailey to, to come out. I have to say, up, but... and we don't have to, this doesn't, this doesn't have to be a long winded thing. Ooh, Bailey can, has but... stepped it up a little bit. Not like in a bottom top, six role. Bottom, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we had been saying for, for quite a while is that if you're going to play him, it has to be in a limited role. And, there, there are just players that should um, be in the lineup instead of him. I'd, you're, you're probably right. I'd be okay with either Holmstrom or, or Bailey out of the lineup. I, I think that's that's totally fine. Engvall, I think he, he did score um, off of. Uh, oh, maybe that's who scored in the in the in the Washington game because it was off of yeah, a player's was. stick. Um, and it wasn't Lee. Lee was the, in against Pittsburgh. Um, no, that was uh, that was his first as an Islander. Yeah, Engvall was against Washington. Was his his first as an Islander, and off of a Capitals defenseman stick. But you know, it all looks the same on the score sheet. Um, I think I want to see more of that. He, he definitely has that skating ability, as he said, yeah. to just kind of like move that puck in transition, but. I, you just need to see it a little more consistently. He's he's looks a little lost out there at times. He, it looks like he's just a a big body, and I'd like him to get more involved with that. I know it's when you're a big player. I think you're just expected to do that stuff, even if it's not your game. But for the how the Islanders play, nearly everybody gets involved in, on that side of the puck or on that side of the game. You have to find a way to get involved physically in the game. And when you're six, five, it just comes to the territory. And he, he knows that by now that's been a criticism of his um, from, you know, obviously his entire career in Toronto. So I'd like to see him do that and create more space for himself and, and his line mates. Um, yeah. I think he's getting there as far as uh, obviously scoring a goal, but just contributing and being a little more noticeable I feel like he's a little invisible at times. And again, for a really like literally a, a big player, he needs to be a little more noticeable on the ice. I'm I'm like looking for him out there. And sometimes I find it difficult to, you know, 
you can almost tell when you, when you pay attention, you watch enough games, you can tell by a player's like skating or things like that. And I, sometimes I'm, I'm still trying to look for them out there. And I know this team by and large, even if they didn't have numbers like, or, or nameplates, like who everybody is. Um, but I find it a little hard right now to, to pick him out unless he's really going. Um, I, I find it a little difficult. Um, I do. So you said you were surprised about Clutterbuck returning. Um, say a little bit more about that. Cause I was thinking about that as well. Yeah. I think we were all surprised, right? Cause it was just like, we heard he was out indefinitely. And then, you know, we knew he was going to be, um, or, or we heard he was, he was, you know, working out and everything and he was around the team and whatnot, but I just didn't think he was coming back this season and with how, how many injuries he's had and, you know, how often, um, you know, we've had the conversation of, is he done? I really thought this was it. Like, I really thought this was it. I, you know, I know he's got another year on that contract, but he just feels like one of the candidates to be, you know, he spends a year on injured reserve and retires the following season uh, next year. So I, I was surprised he came back. You know, again, we didn't, we don't know anything when it comes to Lamorello or whatever. Um, so we didn't know the extent of his injury. Um, but I, I really was, I was surprised to see him come back because again, you know, he has such a hard time at least this season um, and last season staying healthy. And, you know, when you see a number of injuries pile up like that, you don't typically see that that player return um, and, and get back into the lineup the way he has. Um, and then not to mention, he gets back on the first line is uh, in his return. You know, and it was more about Engvall not really playing well that uh, that game up there and, and moving him down the lineup. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's just one of those things now where every time he's on the ice, I kind of like wince like hope he doesn't i don't know block a shot that puts him out for the next six weeks or you know take a hit that's gonna i don't know break something you know it's it's, it's it was just odd to me i i definitely agree with that and i i'm definitely doing a little bit of wincing and and paying a little bit more attention to him out there he does look pretty good so far and he even said it, it took him you know, from the first to the second period, it was a little different. And by the end of the game, he was starting to feel it a little bit. Uh, and I definitely agree that next season, one way or another, he'll likely not be in the lineup as much, if not just on LTIR, maybe the entire season. Um, but I'll say this about his return. I don't think, and again, we don't know anything, but I'll, I'll say this anyway. I don't think it was a coincidence that when the Islanders started to turn it around and start locking down that playoff spot, Clutterbuck said, I'm going to be here for this run. Even if I can't play the entire playoffs, I'm going to help this team make, make the playoffs one way or come hell or high water. Even if I get hurt again and whether, you know, regardless of what happens next season is up in the air. I, I, I personally think it's it's IR, LTIR, you know, open up the cap space and just be able to maybe stay around the team or whatever. But I think he wanted to be involved and he was cleared to, to play. And he said, I want to, you know, I don't want, I don't know what next season is. I don't know what this, you know, no one knows how next season will go. 
Um, and that's not a knock on the team, right? You know, no one knows. Um, you've seen really good teams not not make the playoffs or whatever. Um, last season was a good example. You know, 100 points to get into the playoffs, and this year is looking like low 90s, um, which is a huge. That's a you know five eight point drop uh, from 100 points, depending on where it winds up being five or 10 points. So yeah, I, I think he just wanted to be involved and help the team make, make it to the playoffs. And then if he can, you know, stays healthy and can stay involved in any kind of playoff run, he was going to go out trying. I, he doesn't strike me as the type of person that was just going to, you know, Oh, we'll wait and see. I, I'm more, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he cares about games played. Obviously there's no Iron Man streak. Um, he just has a lot of pride and I think he wants to be involved. And that's more than likely what's played into him just saying, screw it. I'm, I'm coming back. I'll do my my best to stay in the lineup. Um, knowing a guy like Fashing is there, knowing probably Peugeot is coming back. Um, and that Barzell, I'm not really sure. I don't think anyone's reported that he's been on the ice of the team. Um, he may be skating on his own. I'm not entirely sure if we know what the injury is on that. Um Seeing the replay on the Barzell injury, I, I couldn't I couldn't even guess what the injury was. It didn't look like he didn't fall awkwardly. It didn't look like that bad yeah. of a hit. I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's like a wrist. I have no idea. And he came back out and like No, it was definitely lower body. It was? He came back out. Yeah, he came back out in the ice and he like tried to test whatever it was that, you know, happened that in that moment. And ultimately went back down the tunnel and never came back. So yeah, I don't know. It's these are I don't want to I don't want to put this negative energy out into the world, but things like this are a little scary. Yeah. Yeah, especially when he comes out and tries it. It the thing is sometimes the tweaks take longer to and and something I can attest to although I'm not a professional athlete, it's going to be a really long time and then other issues kind of popped up after I hurt my knee last summer. You know, I hyperextended it and it took a really long time to kind of work back into being able to just kind of, I was worried I, I wasn't going to be able to skate this year in, in, uh, in beer league. And it was a little, it was a little nerve wracking. You just never know a little turn. You can just tweak something the wrong way. And especially now that the team's in good position, they're probably not, um, they're probably not rushing him back. They're in good position. Yes, they want to nail nail yeah. this stuff down, but and and nail that um, nail that spot down. But they're playing well, and maybe because they know Peugeot is coming back a little sooner, they're not going to rush him back. Um, but everyone's stepping up. The, te- the team is largely playing well. Um, if I had to guess, Barzell's back before the end of March, maybe early April to get him some games before the playoffs if he's coming back. I find it hard to believe he's just out until a possible playoff run. That you know that's interesting because you don't know. Like it's it's not like nailed down yet. So you like do you rush him and risk, you know, he just he he starts his contract, the big contract next year. Are are you gonna risk his future health for maybe making the playoffs and facing Carolina or Boston in the first round, which we're gonna talk about in a second. I don't, I don't, I just, a part of me finds it hard to believe. Like he, he's, he's going to be back soon. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause um, 
you know, the other day, Kurz did tweet something about him, you know, if he's out the rest of the year. And I feel like he wouldn't just tweet that without having some sort of idea that that's a possibility. Say that again. He did say he'd be out the rest of the year, or he thinks he, he didn't might say be he. He didn't say he would be. He was he was uh, speaking in hypothetical, um, but he did. You know, he said like, "Oh, if Barzell's out for the rest of the year," and I feel like he wouldn't say something like that without at least it being a possibility. I mean, of course, it's a possibility. I think that's a, a perfectly good logical thought process i i just wonder they're so close and they they the team wants that playoff round i don't think it's worth risking somebody's health for that um and of all players i know i definitely take your time with with matthew barzell but um it'll be interesting moving forward there he's obviously not going to play on this california trip but i don't know if he's going to come back at all, they're going to give him some time to get back to the lineup if he's cleared anyway. I, I say that like the team actually has control over whether or not he's recovered from an injury or not. But I think best case scenario, they hopefully can give him some games and reps before any kind of playoff run. Um, but let's talk about that. I thought I, w- I was you know looking at standing as I was writing up our notes before, and I thought... There's definitely there, there's two things here. Tired. Islanders play either Carolina or Boston in the first or second wild card in the in the first round. Wired. The Islanders start kicking ass over the next few weeks. The Rangers continue to fall off. <laughs> the Penguins just kind of stay even. And they actually chase the Rangers and, and beat them out for third of the division and play the Devils in the first round. And uh I I don't know I I I'm pushing for the wired. I think that would be <laughs> amazing to finish ahead of the Rangers after you know a tumultuous season by the Islanders and up and down and who knows and are they buyers or sellers and they do something is it enough? Um, then they do a little bit more and you're like I'm not even sure if this guy's any good and and then kind of here you are. Um, I wonder if you can. I wonder if they can do it. I mean, there that would take some kind of run, the rest of the season. But the Rangers have yeah. not been very good. They're squeaking out no. wins here against some bad teams. Yeah, I, I think we're all pushing for the wire, John. Right. I'm just, you know, there's realistic. I mean, you could push for it, but I, <laughs> I, I there's a there's a part of me that the rain the, the what's working the Rangers' favor is that they've played two less games and they have 84 points to the Islanders 76. But that's not a lot different there. That's four. It's four wins. If the Rangers, yeah. who the Rangers, uh, they're four, five, and one in their last ten, and the Islanders are six, three, and one. Yeah, it's not. It's not impossible. Like that. That switch there. The the, the Devils are seven, two, and, and one in their last ten, and they're um, they're reminding people that they're. Uh, they're still legit. I mean, Carolina's still kind of leading the leading the charge, but they're close. The Devils have only played one more game than than Carolina, and uh, they both have ninety four points. So it's not completely out of the question. I think 
there's I don't know that it's 100% possible, but yes, we're we're definitely all pulling for that. Um they they go into this trip this week and I think anyone's concern is that the Islanders road record's been shit. They're at they're 14 14 and 5. I don't know what yeah. NHL considers 500 at this point. <laughs> they've lost they've lost 19 games on the road whether that's in in, in overtime or not and yeah. they have not they've yet to win a shootout which would have been in five more points which at this stage in the season would have been considerable talk about pushing for the rangers and being in that spot yeah. um they would have been comfortably in that first wild card without really much of an issue even if they won just two of them and they were tied with Pittsburgh now in, in this position. Um, they they would have been comfortably ahead of uh, of the Florida Panthers, who are starting to turn around. They're six three and won their last ten, and um, and Ottawa is also no joke six four and zero in their in their last ten. I think it's going to take some kind of miracle, uh, being six points out, uh, even with two games in hand on the Islanders, for Ottawa to come back. But but Florida's right there. And those games yeah. would have made an enormous difference. And this is the kind of week where if they were having a really good season, maybe they're the Rangers and they're in that third spot where, all right, if we win one out of three um, and we go one and two on this trip, worst case scenario is we're in that top wild card spot. We'll, we can, we'll win the games when we get home. The Islanders do not have that luxury. They, they kind of need to go win some improbable games, you know, back to back West coast swing against LA who's a little bit rejuvenated here um after trading quick and um you know Corpus Allo is coming in and playing well they're 6-2 two and 2 in their last 10 what do you think about this upcoming trip um against you know starting with the Los Angeles Kings who are 29 and 3 at home this season yeah i mean we're at the point in the season for the Islanders where every game every next game becomes the biggest game of the season. It's unfortunate. You know, we always talk about, oh, we don't want to call it the biggest game of the year, but it really is. Every game from here on out is the biggest game of the year. So, you know, they're going to have to play up to their opponent in LA and they're going to have to make sure they don't play down to their opponents in Anaheim and San Jose. These are three winnable games that you could easily see them only coming away with two points in LA and losing to Anaheim and San Jose. This is something that they've done in the past. So um, they have to make sure they keep that pedal on the metal, uh, you know, throughout the entire road trip. And, you know, it's sure it's tough to do traveling and, you know, different time zone and whatnot and everything. But, you know, this is the, the, the most important part of the season. You have to make sure that you, collect the points that you need uh, and at least make the, you know, the, the ones against the games against the LA's or the Toronto's or the jerseys, um, even Buffalo, right? You have to make sure that you, you make sure those games are, you, you, you keep them close and then hopefully you could squeak out a point at least. Um, but yeah, this upcoming there's, trip there's is huge. There's exactly a month left in the season. So you're right. Every yes. game is the biggest game and they're, it's a pretty even split. Maybe they play a few more games on the road than they do at home, which doesn't really spell success for the Islanders. They have two sets of back-to-backs in two weeks. So this week and next week, they have a back-to-back. Um, and talking about keeping Varlamov, with with things this close, it's really important that they're able to kind of depend on on both goalies. Yeah. And 
they do have some time where they have two games, uh, two days rather, in between games, but they're also traveling, so they're it's it's not as rosy as it as it looks. This is this is going to be a tough. They're they're back. They're at home. They're on the road, um, on and off between now and the rest of the season, and it's not going to be easy at all. Um, Eight games on the road, six games at home to finish the year. Yeah, and I think they're primarily games against teams lower than them in the standings, which is good. But their road, their road record is terrible this season, or at least not good enough. They they can't be. Again, I don't know NHL five hundred is anymore. I've tried to. I whatever. I haven't tried. I don't care. Um, it's ridiculous. They're below. They're 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 losing more on the road than. They're giving more points away on the road than they're than they're gaining, um, which is really all that matters. And yeah, this this is this is gonna be a real test for this team if um if they're really gonna be putting it all together at the, by the end of the season. Um before I get to my last question, any any closing thoughts on, on where the islands need to go from here? You know, I'm looking at the lines and I'm just like I I don't get the fashion fascination on the first. I mean, I'm sorry, the Holmstrom fascination on the first line. I and I said fashion because I'm thinking of him. I think he should just be up there. You know, he's playing the right wing. I, I like Parise Nelson and, and Paul Mary together. Um, Clutterbuck back That's on the fourth worth. line with Engvall and Bailey. Sure. Um, I don't know. I guess you're looking for that that re-energized fourth line energy with fashion playing with Sezikis and Martin on the now what is the third line. But it just feels to me like fashion should be playing on that first line. He brings that energy. He he skates the puck well, you know, so he's not going to be scoring. No, but he'll at least, you know, open up some ice for Anders Lee and, and Bo Horvat. Whereas Simone Holmstrom isn't doing that. He's just a pretty responsibly, um, pretty responsible defensively, I should say. So I I don't know. I like. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying that I don't like Simone Holmstrom. I know a couple times after this episode that he should be, you know, probably scratched or or, or not playing uh, for the Islanders right now. Um, I think he's developed well, right? And he's he could be, you know, a regular contributor at some point. Even though he's been in the lineup regularly to this point, but I, I think that they are better off letting him develop a little more i don't think he's exactly ready yet and i get it the islanders are injured but i i think there's other other players that could be in the lineup right now above holmstrom one i think fashion could move up and two you know i'll say it again and you know we don't have to do a long-winded thing about this but you know i i really liked what i saw from durando and i don't know why he didn't get the opportunity to stick around or come back at this at at any rate, right? Holmstrom isn't exactly right. setting the world on fire. And I didn't see anything from Durando that indicated that he wasn't responsible defensively. Maybe they just thought, all right, there was lightning in a bottle. He played really well. Let's not let's not stretch it further than it's gonna go. Um, but that seems like an awfully safe move for a team that cannot afford it. Right. That doesn't strike me as a, a good decision you're you're going for it now you are in it you bought at the deadline granted horvat's a long-term thing but you you picked up a depth piece 
And then you had a free one in Durando to make your team better. So I'm I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that either. As far as Holmstrom on the first line, given what the the group is right now, and with Clutterbach back, although he was on IRR, it's not like there was a there was a roster spot open. I think Holmstrom on the first line balances the lines a little bit better. And that's probably why. You know, at least Lee and Horvat play well together, and Holmstrom has shown flashes that he can, you know, really shoot the puck or really move the puck and 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 skate. And maybe that's just a risk they're willing to take because the rest of the lineup then with Vashing playing. Um, although I did see one of the lines with the fourth line back together, and it was uh, Fashing Holmstrom. Uh, I guess it was Engvall. I don't. The lines are so screwy now because they're throwing. So some of the reporters, you know, rightly because some players are coming in and out. You know, Johnson skating with some of the lines and Engvall's playing with some of the lines. Right. Bailey's yeah. centering. It's just a little, you know. No, I'm not used to seeing it that way. But I did see one with the fourth line together, back together, and whatever whoever was left over in Engvall. Um, Fashing and and Bailey and Johnson skating together, which looked very messy. Um, maybe that they'd rather have somebody more responsible in that line. I guess Josh Bailey's playing a little bit better as of late. Fashing and and Eggball is probably not a terrible line. Ah, that seems like pure chaos to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to say that. That does not seem like a strong line at all. I don't know that Holmstrom makes it any better. Maybe you make that first line a little bit better, but switching those players around doesn't do anything for how mid or meh or whatever that fourth, third, whatever bottom six line is. Where every time that line's out, they, they're hemmed in their own zone, especially when Koivula was playing center on that line. But even with Bailey, it doesn't look good. You don't want them out there, which is disappointing because you want, you know, fashing out there. And I think he and Clutterbuck were sh- going every once in a while, they were flipping and they were both trying to get time on that with Sizikas and, and Martin. Um, so that, that line is really four guys. And then Engvall's getting shorter shifts. Bailey's getting some power play time, but his five on five is pretty limited because that line just keeps getting hemmed in their own zone. That's it's even with Clutterbuck. It was, it did not look good. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure it really even matters. Well, no, I guess the other thing too is Peja will most likely be back tomorrow too. So things are going to shift again. Absolutely. Um, I do want to end the show with one, one question. And I, again, I, I, I asked this not wanting to rewrite history, but given how well Ajo has played this season, did Lamorello, did, I'll, I'll ask it like this. Did Ajo save Lamarill's bacon after trading Taves by stepping up and kind of being maybe even Taves light? I don't think he's Taves light, but he's definitely played better. And he's definitely he's definitely at least filled a void that could have been detrimentally left open. And it's not, thankfully, you know. Uh, Ajo's played well 
enough to, you know, not boom out of the uh, off off the ice. And, um, you know, he's skated the puck well in transition and he's, he's created a little bit offensively and um, he's not completely unreliable in his own end anymore. So it's interesting too, because I, I think that we said earlier in the year that, you know, it was a result of him um, playing better or in a system that fits him better with with Lambert trying to do more run and gun. And now that's changed a little bit back to a more reserved style of play. And he's still playing well. So he's definitely developed well. Um, I don't think he's tased light, but in terms of if he saved Lamarillo's behind, yeah, a little bit, you know, he didn't get anybody to to fill that role and he made it where he gambled on his own and made it an internal competition and he won out. So um, it was like, I don't know. He was like the last resort, right? It was Sallow, a couple other guys got, got a run. And then, you know, they were just like, okay, Aho, like, let's see what you got. And he stuck. Um, But after that, who was it going to be? Maybe Bullduck or, or whatever, but you know, can you rely on him heading into the playoffs right now? Like he's developing great. Sure. But I don't know. Like that's, that's a tough ask. You know, Ajo's at least been around a little bit. So. Yeah. I was thinking about that as we were, as we were talking and um, again, trying not to rewrite the history. And that's why I asked it that way where, you know, Ajo saved, you know, uh, maybe a season too late saved Lamorell's bacon a little bit. Um you know, stepping up and, and kind of filling a void in, in the back end. And, and that's a laddie trade as well. And that offensive def, uh, defenseman like Dobson, I think, is still playing really well. He's not where he was maybe in this, by December of this last year. He's definitely slowed down a little bit. He's not having the same season that he did last year. At least he's not nearly as noticeable, um, even with a little bit of the run and gun. But as that team has kind of fallen back into – as you said, in, in, into that structure, um, maybe both of those players are, are starting to find a little bit of a different day-to-day, game-to-game role in the team. So where they may not be as noticeable, which is okay, right? Because they're winning hockey games. And obviously, if you asked any of them uh, what matters most, you know, compared to last season, no, what you know, your your points are dropping. It's like, yeah, well, we're, now we're winning games and we might make the playoffs. So I'm not really concerned about my own point production. Um Although I'm sure he'd find a way to say that much nicer and more, more political, um, in fear of what Lamarillo may do, but we'll never know. Um, you all set on this episode, bud? I think that's it. I'm hungry. Part of me is always you're hungry. Yeah, I, I, I like slammed dinner right before this, and it was a little bit of a mistake. Um, because I felt a little full and and sluggish this episode, on, on top of not feeling well and and being tired. But um, yeah, if that if that's all we got here, uh, we can we can shut her down. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch the show. Thank you to those who are commenting on YouTube. That that definitely rules. I I love seeing those comments uh, over the course of the day. Oh uh, yeah, it's cool seeing even even um, some people on Twitter saying I'm watching the show. Um, I, I think that's, I think it's cool. Um, yeah, we have a, I, I know that. we have like an okay following. I don't know how we're supposed to pat ourselves on the back with that. We know people 
listen to the show. We know people watch the show, but sometimes when people actually interact, like they're taking that next level. Obviously, if you're listening to an Islanders podcast, you're you're a crazy fan. But um, it's that I don't know. It it does mean a lot. It doesn't go unnoticed. Like we're we love when people interact and, and all that kind of stuff. So I guess even if you're yelling at us, and as Adam Wilde said on SDPN, um, or an SDP rather, the um, not the comment section. He called it something else. Um, not the celebration. The I can't think of the word. I'm ruining the joke. So we probably should just end end the show here. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Nasman Hockey. You can find James working at the fourth period and uh, make sure you check out Isles Fix, an excellent, an excellent created Islanders newsletter. And make sure you pick up Joel Bono's book, A to Z Islanders. Um, we got to schedule them to be on the show soon. That would be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I got to find out where Casparides is in this book. I have to figure that <laughs> out. Um, I still don't know. Um, but uh, James, bring us home. Until next time, John, get the punchline. <laughs>